One, two, ten. Welcome to the Claim the Throne broadcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2014. Welcome to the Claim of Throne Blodgecast. We were lucky enough yesterday to have a nice little chat with our good mate and human legend, Brad Wesson of Soundworks Touring. Between Brad and his partner Dyson, they've um, formed a great company that has really changed the face of metal music in Australia. So, uh, yeah, we got to pick his brain about that shit. Totally. And uh, crack yourself open a Bundy and listen to us chatting with Brad Wesson of Soundworks Touring all about dresses and ballet. Without any further Adolf Hitler, here's the interview. Gavin Ford, Gavin Ford. Welcome back to the Gavin Ford Show. You're listening to another interview today and we're super privileged to have a full-on sick dick with us. He's been in the Aussie metal scene for around 20 years, been in some awesome bands, Choke, Lockdown, Cunt Scrape, and also well-renowned for his skills in management, booking, promoting. He's even had a rehearsal studio. Today we're with Brad Wesson of Soundworks Touring. How you going, mate? Thanks for having us, lads. No worries. Anytime. Thanks for being here. And we're actually sitting in uh, Brad's back shed, and we don't mean that in a uh, metaphorical sense. It's a literal shed. And um, yeah, it's really cool. How are you today, Ash? I'm pretty good, man. It's decked out to the nines here with nice carpet and beautiful lush rugging. I think we're getting pimped out to his two beagles a bit later on, too. Oh, yeah. You'll be on the rug. <laughs> anyway, Brad, uh, we've given the listeners a little bit of info about you, but if you don't mind just telling us a bit about who you are and what you've been up to in the metal scene, how you've got to where you are today and who the fuck are you basically uh well i guess um like a lot of people that may be listening to this broadcast we started out just playing in bands and you know loving music as we do and, and still do to today but it, that's where it kind of started and hanging out at rehearsal rooms and meeting other people and going to shows and wondering how they all worked and what they do and you know is it, does anyone, i am that person looking for oh does anyone make any money out of this you know and it wasn't that I liked that idea over the actual playing. The, the, the idea of getting up and doing a show was always way more important. But uh, as we moved forward and got a little bit older, I moved out of playing the bands and sort of, yeah, we, we bought the, the Soundworks rehearsal studio in Osborne Park here in Perth, Western Australia. And from there, we, we saved up a bit of cash and thought, oh, you know, um, maybe we should bring out bands. But we thought we'd start local. So we bought out the, the uh, East Coast metal bands. At the time, not many were coming here, and if they were, they were the older bands that have been around for a while that never used to come here. So we started bringing a few of the newer ones. A lot worked, or a lot didn't. Um, that didn't seem to deter us. And then we thought, oh, well, well, someone said to us, oh, have you heard of this band called Hate Eternal? There's a guy from Morbid Angel playing in it. So we bought those guys out here with some money we'd, we'd had from the, the rehearsal chair business, and it spun us very small profit um, for the time, and we were stoked either way. We just thought, well, that was... Fantastic organising that. And from there, yeah, we've grown Soundworks Touring Australia. We've uh, pushed it into Asia where we now book for uh, the 30,000 Ed Hammersonic Festival in Indonesia. Uh, we are doing some bookings for the Pulp SummerSlam Festival in Manila in the Philippines. And we even set up in Europe for about, I think it was three or four years before we um, worked out that the Asian market was a, a much stronger option for us. And we closed that down, but it was by no means a negative experience. We learnt a hell of a lot about how the industry works up there and what things we've been able to bring back and and uh, place into our own business practices here. But to answer your question, man, I'm just someone who loves music passionately and, and just stoked beyond belief that I can do this as a vocation, even if it is of, of, of our making. <sighs> yeah, it, it blows me away each day. That this is what I do for a job and rock and roll shows rule. <laughs> Wicked, man. 
you were around in the Perth metal scene during the early glory days with your band Choke. How did the scene compare back then to what it's like now? That's a that's a good question, and it's I, I'm not being nostalgic here or, or anything like that, but I, I do reflect on that a lot because it was a pivotal part of why we're sitting here having this conversation and the likes of today. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. When we first started out doing Choke in like 95, I think it was, was some of the, some of the first shows, through 96, 97, it was good. A bunch of bands of our size could pull on their own together, you know, 150 people to a show at um, venues that probably aren't even around here anymore, like the White Sands Hotel and stuff like that. And it was a good night. They were always good nights, good people, good fun. And um, it, it, when when the kind of the new metal stuff came in, that scene, there was only a bunch of us bands that were holding that whole thing together, like, you know, Stitches. And, uh, yeah, Choke, Pagan, and a band called Kin. And then there was a few other bands around us that were up and coming or whatever. Rhino Ted. Rhino Ted, yeah, yeah. Bands like that. Oh, yeah, that, they managed to not fit, you know, directly into that that new metal <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. And, but, you know, I made lots of good mates out of those bands too. So, But it was uh, that was what was happening at the time. But it, now I think the last 10 years or so, I think, um, you know, we're not like just me, but other people in that bringing uh, – more international acts through here and national touring acts. You know, you've got the more hardcore bands coming through, more rock and roll bands coming through, more metal, everything like that. It's created a, a sort of a more unified scene. Like the Western Front was around when we were doing shows and that back then, but there wasn't that camaraderie at gigs that I see today where you go back, you know, someone from the scene will have a party and 50 people will rock up just because it's so-and-so's birthday or something like that, you know. it's. That's a, that's a good thing. To me, that's always been a good sign of how healthy it is, you know. Um, I haven't been lucky enough to get to a lot of those parties, you know, having kids and all that responsibility on top of this. But, you know, the few I have been to over the years and the friends I've hung out with, even and overseas when you see it as well, it's, yeah, it says a lot for how healthy the scene is today. I think, you know, it's, it's a very healthy scene. But it, it's also because there are quite a lot more people now working behind the scenes to make that work, more people putting on shows, more people promoting uh, people doing things like this that you, you guys are doing, it's, yeah, because it's possible, obviously, with technology and everything. Can I just interject one thing? That's a really interesting point you made there about how the scene was then and is now. And with all these new bands coming through the, of such different genres and the exposure to more international styles, I guess, or trends that are happening overseas, when I listen back to Perth bands of old and I remember back in the day, the actual sound was really different and it was really unique. It's affecting the way that Perth bands write. Do you feel that at all? Or- yeah, and perform and, and look and yeah. image and everything like that because it's it's um, like what you just said, Cabo, there. They are, they are doing that because it's there. It's possible. You know, bands do – there's that many bands around there and the technology of the, of the Facebook, the social media, the uh, – once again, do, sitting here doing podcasts like this that can go anywhere. You know, you can sell your product anywhere. There's no mailing tapes, yeah. you know, over to people in England to their scene or something like that or to, to, to Tampa in Florida with death metal bands or something like that. You know, you can, you can access things so quickly and share information so quickly. So everything does have to happen faster. And benchmarks are being set, you know, as, as more Australian bands have gone to tour. Like, you know, you guys have done with your own band. If you came back from doing a tour like that and played worse than you did, well, fucking there'd be a problem, you know. If, you know <laughs> but you, you come back sharper and that sort of stuff really lifts the bar performance-wise, songwriting-wise. You see more of it, um, how everyone else is doing it. And bands getting off uh, back onto to track here. The bands today in, say, in our city in Perth, they know that that's happening to bands, you know, whether it's costing them money or whatever. 
they're going out and doing it. They know that's possible. When we were doing choke and things like that, Allegiance hadn't even gone overseas, but they were pulling a thousand people here in, in Perth. So you would hear of the odd East Coast band that would go. I remember our goals, put out an album, support a couple of international touring acts and do our own Australian tour. And, and we'd be pretty much time to hang up the boots. That's what I did anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The goals always change. Yeah. The more you achieve, you're like, well, we did that. All right. Maybe we should move on to the next thing. But anyway, while we are talking about choke um, and that album you mentioned, Smoke and Tailpipe Action. I didn't was, mention um, it. Well, I've been thinking about it this whole time with a big stiffy. It's one for the history books. <laughs> and uh, I think it went, went platinum or gold or something. I don't know. But um, it actually went paper. It went. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to ask you about um, it getting banned and what happened there. And yeah, it got to certain people's attention for better and for worse. It was a bit of a joke. Like Dyson and I, Gav, our bandmate, and uh, still one of our best mates this day. He wasn't into it actually. He was. He pretty much shat himself. So <laughs> we'll get to that. But um, <laughs> we thought, oh, you know, the the, the product was offensive and uh, it had a, a, a title on it called "Your Mum's Cunt Stinks," <laughs> which was about two guys arguing and one guy just said it one night at the twenty first and the room stopped. And, like you know, just going <laughs> to erupt or they're going to just laugh at each other. It was the latter. And that was more about what the song was about. But anyway, we sent it to a few people we knew would react to it. Yeah, we wrote articles under false names. I think I wrote a few complaint letters about the product <laughs> under the name Nora Spam Javelin. <laughs> next thing you know, um, Dicey got a knock on the door and it was detectives wanting to seize the product. Mm. For unclassifiable product and we laughed about it but it was actually pretty serious because the only things listed under that at the time were child pornography and, and um, bestiality and this was neither of those but they couldn't classify it so that's where they were putting it so either way it all it got a bunch of media and press and all this sort of thing and it was around the time it was coming out we we're doing a few other shows and that and it was yeah it worked it was funny and it was a, a bumpy ride but I remember laughing Dyson was laughing because it was nothing we couldn't talk our way out of as being a you know just an innocent thing that happened you know, we didn't expect it to be that it wasn't sinister in any way apart from funny <laughs> and a bit perverted you know so as his grindcore as his grindcore you know it was yeah it was uh, yeah but it was uh, that's how it all kind of kind of came about that, that sort of thing yeah Dicey and I loved it Gav walked around in a circle with his hands on his hips puffing hot air <laughs> what if we get caught man up oh god keep that bit in <laughs> done we'll do hope you liked that one Gav these days there are a lot more promoters out there throughout the Aussie scene do you think there's too many going around at the moment and is it healthy for the scene or not just yeah I guess your thoughts on the current state of Aussie metal promoters uh, yes I think it's very healthy that there's people bringing out uh, lots of stuff I think that people should bring out their own stuff and different stuff and um, yeah there's a couple of dudes out there that try and snake in on our tours and they can go eat a fucking dick <laughs> but um, but for the most part I love things like I think Soundwave is a great thing for Australia I think that's a you know how can you not enjoy going and watching a bunch of bands for 180 bucks totally. you know, that's, why, that's why we listen to this stuff yeah. you know cause so you can get as much of it as you can so that's, it brings more bands down here it brings more attention to our country smart promoters will work, work their tours around it won't have any near it you know respect it because it's big and I mean what I said before you know you, you find someone that's trying to get in on your, your tours for no apparent reason then they say they haven't got any other creative capacity to come up with with their own ideas they can go eat a dick but yeah. everyone else live long and prosper there's plenty of work out there for everyone <laughs> so more people should be looking at becoming promoters when they grow up well I don't know or is it all taken <laughs> <laughs> is it up there with fireman and doctor and things like <laughs> <Yeah. six? laughs> 
Uh, I was 29. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. going to be this. You don't look a day over 21, bro. I know. That is very interesting about Soundwave. And, w- and what are your opinions on Soundwave not being in Perth next year? How does that affect us? And do you think there's a Soundwave-sized hole in Perth that needs to be filled? Or? Soundworks Festival? I think it sucks. I'm, I'm with everyone else, you know, that likes going. This year, I could only get up there in the afternoon. We were away camping and riding. I got up there in time just to catch Gajira down and then catch up with a few of my friends that I knew were on the tour that I had you know, international mates or whatever that I hadn't seen for a while. Yeah, even then I thought, oh shit, I wish I could have got here earlier in the day. It just looked like it had been a good day. And you could definitely see that numbers were down. So I can understand the business behind it not happening, but it sucks because it's a it's a good thing. It's a good day. Whether you're, you know, some elitist death metal, black metal guy who goes, I'm not going because that's metal for thugs, you know, kind of thing. Or <laughs> if you're someone that doesn't or thinks it's a bit too heavy and you like the lighter side of things, at the end of the day, it's a, the broadest metal display you're going to have in town on the calendar year so yeah recently on the podcast we chatted about buy-ons and pay-to-play scenarios that are going around uh do you think the deals or these sort of deals are becoming more prevalent in today's market and how do they impact the scene and perhaps you can even clear up what the hell's going on for us i think they're a bit of a joke we've never done it we've never had a band pay to be on a soundworks tour we've offered bands you know sizable guarantees or guarantees that we knew we had in our budget to say, hey, look, this is all we can give you. You're going to have to come up with your own cash. But those expenses have gone to the band's invoices, you know, things like that, but nothing's ever come into to our pocket. It's a common practice in Europe with the bus tour situation and things like that. I don't agree with it. If you have something that is absolutely massive and a band wants to do it because they've been successful somewhere else and they're trying to crack into the Australian market and they you know, say, hey, we'll give you this much to come on to a tour, I could see why that would be attractive. You know, it's business. Let's, if they are willing to pay that to get something out of it, sure, you know, mm. do it. it. That's fine. But I mean, we're not, we don't go out hunting for those sorts of things. Or you know, and, and honestly, we've never had anyone come to us and say, oh, we'll give you X amount of tour to be on this. Because I think people are a bit more smarter and savvy nowadays. Like we were saying earlier in the conversation, bands know they can go out and get onto lots more things now. That doesn't have to exist as much as it used to maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with it. I don't go, I'm not actively saying, yeah, cool, Bion's awesome. But I see whether the place exists for it to happen. It's interesting that you talk about it as if bands are offering you stuff, whereas um, what, what seems to be happening and what we've heard about on the Australian scene is promoters, namely overseas promoters, who are actually proposing the Bion and saying, hey, if you give us uh, this much money, you can join my tour. Yeah, right. I know what you're talking about, but that is actually starting here. There's someone in Sydney doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, spearheading that sort of whole, hey, if you give me X amount, I can get you on these tours in this country to our north, you know? So that's where that's starting. And I think it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And if that person was in the room with us right here now, I'd be quite happy to say, you know, you're a joke, mate. You're just a bottom feeding piece of shit. Because all he's doing is ripping off, you know, young struggling bands that are trying to do something. But on the other side, the one thing that's just as bad, if not worse, is the bands that are agreeing to do it and paying this fucking Muppet this money and going and doing that. Because That's what concerns me the most. You get these, these really young bands that have you know not done any touring yet and then they're getting onto these massive tours because they've got the money for it. But then all these other bands that have worked really hard can't get the same tours because yeah. they don't have those opportunities because they're yeah. taken. But those those bands that are working hard too need to sometimes that you just need to find a way. Mm-hmm. I, I like to ride a Harley Davidson motorcycle, and I know that that thing's a money pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Same mentality in a band. I think you know if you're starting out in a band, understand this is going to cost you yeah. to get somewhere. Whether it's buying amps, guitars, or you know flights, or you know, as you progress, the extra expenses that come with it. It's all your expenses are always going to increase 
this, you know, nine times out of ten for anything from rock and roll to whatever we do, we're not talking One Direction blow-ups and things like that. You know, good hard-working b- bands and musicians. Totally. Um, and we did have an episode last week where we actually listed all of the expenses to you to be aware that you're up for if you are good. starting out yeah, as a band. That's great. And there's a whole, whole lot of them, a lot more than there is for the income side of things, that's for sure. And then extending on to, you mentioned in Europe for like bus money, <laughs> bus money, um, for touring over there. That change? Uh, do you consider that in the same category if a promoter from Europe says, look, um, we want you to join this tour, but the cost of your place on the bus is this. Do you see that as that same kind of um, shady thing or is that more about... Uh, no, 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 I don't. And um, without we had Soundworks in Europe for those three or four years, like I say, yep. and we, we did that a couple of times, you yep. know, where it became part of the income, mm-hmm. but we would end up giving a bit more to the the international artist, uh, the, the headlining artist, of, for, in our performance guarantee and using that to offset some other expenses. So I, I'm happy to tell you exactly what those costs are. I mean, that, we don't have that business anymore, but um, most, most people are aware of how it works up there, but just in case you're not, basically, if, if a promoter turns around to you up there and says, hey, look, I can get you on the, this, you know, blah, blah, blah tour, you know, uh, it's going to cost you 8,000 euros and for an Australian band plus your flights. So 8,000 euros, you're looking at about 12,000 Australian dollars at least. More, no, more. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah about 12,000, 13,000. And then your flights. So say you're a five-piece band, looking at 10, plus you've got to get some merch. You're looking at $25,000 in costs to be on the bus and that tour is going to last you somewhere between, I think, 21 and 30 days. So you might sell a little bit of merch while you're up there. You can't um, expect to get paid per show? No, 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 no. no, no not if it's your, your first couple of goes up there and things like that. And that's the idea. It reduces back down to zero and then you build up an income. Yep. So, but that's, you know, any, any uh, Australian band you know that's gone over and done things like this, that's where and how it started is directly like that, paying money to be on these tours. But break that down between five guys in the band. So all of a sudden you look at that's costing each dude five grand. If each dude in that band is as committed as the other to what they want to do, you you get six months, eight months notice out of this, like to know with, with those European tours when you're going. So if, if, if you've got people in your band that aren't willing to commit that and do that, then, you know, they might be there for the wrong reasons. I don't know, but it's, once as we say, you know, that's what you go in, you sign up to do, you know. Um, every, every Most of your favourite bands from Slayer to Lamb of God to whoever, I don't, I don't care what bands you listen to, most of your favourite bands, all of them have struggled at some point at the start to get through, so especially in metal. That money, um, as opposed to just going into someone's pocket, I mean, are those distributed among expenses that you would expect to pay for on a tour, a la accommodation, transport, driver? Oh, yeah, for your, for your 8000 you're getting uh, probably, say, if it's a five-piece band, you'll get a crew allocation. You get six bunks on the bus. Uh, in Europe, you'll get yeah six bunks on the bus. That'll be your back line. Um, you'd be expected to help, you know, load in and out with the gear, with the local loaders, things like that. Um, you'll have a tour manager, uh, a merchandiser, and yeah, I said backline, didn't I? Yeah, 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 bus, everything like that. So you, you you're sorted on the road up there. You want for nothing. You've got your hot meals each night. Um, in Europe, tour buses are usually there by midday, and lunch is provided as well. So you've got lunch and dinner, and man, a tour up there. If you're getting up at as the bus rolls into town at midday. It's a nice feeling. Yeah, you just get up, you have your lunch and your dinner you don't really want for too much else, you know. If you and the the alcohol's always in abundance on the European tours. It's crazy. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, there's always surplus. I don't care how many how how hard you drink, there's, there's always surplus in those riders. It's great. We um yeah, we really tried to make that distinction on the podcast between playing for the 
for the privilege in inverted commas to just be there yep. and also paying for what I like to look at as a well-promoted, well-organized tour. Yeah. Because as long as you, if you're a green band who goes over to Europe, as long as you make bus call, the tour will work. Yeah, right. And it's common if you miss bus, that's uh, get your own way there. As opposed to, to a show. pay to play, like, well, whatever we're going to call the other one, you're rocking up there and you might still be responsible for those costs as mm. well. I don't like the term with the European version um, I don't like the term buy-ons. I, I, it's not a buy-on. You're just covering, you're paying your expenses. Yeah, you're covering you know? the outlays. And even I've seen it from both sides where we've been involved with bands that would, would get doing that with us starting in Europe to running tours in Europe myself as a promoter. And I still don't like the term buy-on. Mm-hmm. I think it's ridiculous. You know, it's, you're not buying into anything. You're just covering expenses. Yeah, yeah and I'm really glad you've you've made that clear yeah. but like to you said, us the, because the, yeah. it's a privilege type angle. No, that's just that's, fucking yeah. jam it. That seems more on. like a yeah. pay to play. Yeah. You literally are paying to play. Yep. Yeah. So it's a it's a and tricky that is going term into isn't someone it? else's pocket. And the, the worst bit of it is is that the, the person I know who it is, but I can't say the person in Sydney that's been doing it um, is definitely taking fifty percent of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whoever you are, and you're taking they're taking <laughs> that, and the rest is going to someone else. Yeah. yeah. But I'm aware that the other the someone else that's going to is um, that doesn't want to be part of this practice anymore anyway. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, just yeah. Of course, things for people to be aware of if you you know offered things. Be very careful. Ask your uh, your local metal mate who can uh, advise you into the right direction as to whether you should be accepting those crazy deals or not. That would be dicey. That would be dicey. <laughs> just bug him. Just bug him. Don't just worry about b- it. You grab him in the street, shake him down, <laughs> tell him he looks like Kronos and. <laughs> Uh, I've never heard that one before. And just um, while we're still on Europe, kind of, um, obviously the scene over there is a lot bigger. I mean, every metal show is going to have a pretty solid turnout and there's bands, you know, all over the place. Um, Do you think that, I guess, the the bigger metal scene over there as opposed to what it is in Australia, obviously, um, do you think that's because they get a lot of tours or do people over there just like that music or how how does their scene, how has it progressed so far into the metal thing I guess as opposed to here and do you reckon Australia will get that big one day um I think Australia holds its own very well man but yeah again having seen both sides of it it's you'd you'd be surprised some of the shows okay you have to for club tours in Europe for the most successful club tours in Europe they have to run in sort of the September through to early to mid-December time frame it's when you've got the indoor festivals it's when uh, there's no outdoor festivals. It's not summer, so it's, everyone's not taking holidays. And the other time is kind of around April to May for your club touring. They're your optimum times. January, February is okay as well, but fuck, the weather, who knows, you know. And when you're booking that far out, it's got to be a big fucking rip-ass tour to be taking that risk to do it then. But they're your, they're your optimum time frames for club touring, for bus tours. In Europe, and that's that changed in the time we had the business running up there. You know, so we, we ran our first ever tour. We ran up there was in the middle of summer festival season, June July with Deerside, and <clears throat> that the turnouts for that were below. The festivals were great. A couple of the the shows in certain regions were really good, um, but there was a couple that were sort of like half the size. And when I say a good club show in summer, if we had five hundred. We would be very happy. Um, and if we had a couple that were around the 250 mark, you know, you're like, uh, fuck, you know, 320 to 350 we can live with, but that was a bit rough kind of thing. But that's because everyone's – not only is everyone going to festivals up there at that time, in Europe that's the time when families get, get together, friends all catch up. Like shit just seems to shut down. 
you know, all your touristy shit still going and you can, you know, whoop it up up there on the piss with your mates as we've done, you know, uh, you know, just yeah, stumbling around Europe and Germany in particular in the summer. But it's, um, yeah, they're, they're your optimum times for, for club touring up there. Cool. And um, I guess for Aussie bands looking to get over there, there's not a whole lot of Aussie bands that have really broken the market. There's obviously a few that have done really well and hardworking bands and good on them. Um, but yeah, I guess for, for bands that are looking to, um, to make that next step, what do you do? You have any tips, I guess, on a good approach to take to to make it over there? I mean, is it as as simple as just having a good album and a solid show, or do you really need to work on your networking, send info packs to people, have a bit of luck, that sort of thing? Uh, I think, uh, well, like anything in this business, it's ninety percent luck. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's you, me, whoever. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing in this in this business. It's that that's how it goes. But the best, the worst thing you can do is be a punisher. So if you do get hold of good contacts, don't punish people. Everyone gets sick of it really quick. Like what we're doing to you now? No, no, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, get your information out to people. But the things that the promoters or booking agents want to see over there is um, that you've got a product that is being well received for where it sits, all right? But you've also got to have some form of distribution, some sort of promotion that you can bring to the table, whether it's from a label or from yourself. You know, that's, that might mean you saying, you know, oh, we're going to invest an extra two and a half thousand dollars and employ a, a publicist from you know a certain company somewhere in Germany or the UK or whatever to to, to you know not only get behind this tour but push our product and you know even bands signed to labels often get outside publicists you know kicking so it's not a, a big thing you know the difference is you know a band that's generating you know five hundred thousand dollars a year in profits uh, after all their expenses can spend. $10,000 a year across the world on a few publicists to push them, you know, old mate and friends starting out, giving it their first go. That's a little bit different, but it's the same. That's just what it is. You know, prices don't vary because you're a starting out band as compared to if you're one of the, the top dogs. So it doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't matter. The promoters want to, and booking agents want to know that you're, you're coming to the table with something as well, you know, and they also want to know that if it's, the buy-on type thing that we were talking about before, then they want to know that you're willing to pay X amount. So having a, having cash flow, <laughs> as fucked as that sounds, that's, that's just what it is. Having the cash behind you, a good product and a good way of being set up with either, you know, signed to a label, distributed, whatever. So if you're signed to a, a European label, that's your best foot in the door, hands down. But even then, that's no guarantee. I just want to say, if, if you've got people you know that are in bigger bands and whatever... Don't again. Don't punish them, but don't be afraid to to hit them up and ask them. It's you know, stranger things have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of bands we all know have got onto tours through friends. And look at us, for example, and got on to get mm-hmm. bigger things. You know, yeah, we got to UK pretty much because we yeah met a pretty big band over there who had come here and we were lucky enough to support them here. Yeah, exactly. And it worked out, you know. Yeah. And since then, I guess we haven't had too much luck. Yeah. So, um, there you go. And I got to know you guys to do this podcast because I know Dicey. That's pretty <laughs> fucking sweet. <laughs> um, speaking of being punished, I mean, you talk passionately about the word punisher. I can't even begin to imagine how much you get punished with, are you bringing this band over? My band would love to tour with Soundworks. Can you get me this and that? Like, It must be never ending. Do you want to set the set it straight to everyone? I mean, what is the best way to get in contact with you? How For things like that, is there a preferred method? Because people are going to do it anyway, I'm gathering. It's not as bad. As as it could be, yeah. you know, and that's not a <laughs> go ahead to ramp it up. Yeah, you know, yeah. But it's to be expected in 
what we do, you know, you, you're going to get that request. That's what you're there for. And I was an excitable dude in a band one day. And if I had an email account in <laughs> 1995 and I knew that Morbid Angel were coming out or something, that would have been submitting choke for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, would, we would have sucked, you know, but it's, it is, um, yeah, it's to be expected. Um, most people are pretty cool. We, uh, there's only a handful over the last 10 years where you've just had to say, just delete my address, buddy. You won't be needing it again. For the most part, people are cool, and I understand sometimes just not replying to someone two or three times, they get the hint straight away and back it up. You know, you don't hear from them for the next couple of tours, and that's that's cool, getting getting the hint. So if they do email you, what's the way to go about it? I mean, should they should it just be simple like, hi, I'm this person and I'm Short, emailing sharp, about sweet. this? Should they be attaching like a perhaps a bio or a song or, or a link to their website? The, the most you ever want to attach, short, sharp, sweet, little introduction two or three lines max, links to your music. If you feel you've got to attach a bio PDF or whatever, go for it. That's the best thing you can do. We'll have a quick squeeze. Oh shit, have a listen. Yeah, that's cool. File that. You know, anything above that, you know, that you've got to, you know, if you're getting, you know, a hundred odd emails a day just to do with tours and things like that and whatever, it's, you know, one extra email counts. So that little bit less you got to read, you know, I, I'm quite happy I, I, to sit down later at night and roll a fatty and listen to music. That's, <laughs> that's not a problem. But yeah, when, you know, you're getting emails, you've got to read like paragraphs during the day. If I get those, you know, I'm sure I've probably, you know, been a bunch of shit. There's probably some really good music on there, you know. It's like some bands nowadays will do the whole multi-package layout bio in a special glossy pack. Too much, is it? It's too much. Really. So they yeah. shouldn't post your stuff in the mail? Perhaps no, most definitely not. And, and the, as close to home as this is, just off the, the – it's not off the track at all, actually. This <laughs> this friend of my dad's, uh, his daughter's friend had this band in Adelaide. I must listen to this music. Yeah, blah, blah. And they sent five discs. And I had to say to my dad just the other day, um, you know, oh, Dad, I told so-and-so, just send me a link because um, – you know, so they end up as you know, beer coasters, or or they get files. And he goes, "What do you mean filed?" I said, "I was just a bin over my shoulder." <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, you wouldn't realize. What are you going to do with it?" I said, "No, it's become landfill." I said, "It's a waste of the guy's money. You know, there's three bucks a disc there or something." No, don't do that. Just send a link. It's free, and you still got product to send to other people, like you know, radio stations, media, stuff like that. You know, stuff that matters to promote your band. So, yeah, but it's people go too far with it sometimes. You know. It's a handy tip because also, I mean, we're not just talking about like, you, you know, making you roll your eyes when you've got a hundred emails that, you know, a percentage of them might also be hitting you up. But I mean, you've also got to think about your inbox. And if you're attaching like a high quality MP3, that's five, eight meg yeah. takes your inbox space. It also takes time to download. Then your downloads probably full of fucking Excel spreadsheets and document uh, documentation anyway. So yeah, let's call it that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just go, it goes too it just goes too far. When a link is there, things like Bandcamp or Reverb Nation, you got streaming music. Just take advantage of it. Yeah, it's your own yeah. bandwidth too. Sitting there waiting for fucking MP3s to upload. Yeah, when you're contacting all these different promoters. Yeah, or you might you might have all best intentions and you do download something and you come back and go oh. Shit, I forgot about that. Uh, I'm going to bed. Yeah. Just turn it off or say, you know, mm. so yeah, just send a link yeah, or upload something to a private YouTube or whatever and go, hey, here you go. Mm. Have a look at this. This is our new video. Listen to this, you cunt. Yeah, get it in here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, intermission? Yeah. Yes. Eight. So, um, yeah, you mentioned before that 
you know, maybe it could potentially be worthwhile for bands to consider booking a publicist, depending on what level they might be on. Do you reckon it's worthwhile these days for bands to need management as such, or can DIY be just as effective? And I guess the reason I ask is because I know there are companies, quote unquote, out there as well that are approaching young green bands, you know, offering them certain deals, you know, we'll do this for you all year, you just have to pay us this monthly fee. So yeah, I guess like what should a a good manager or record label do and, and, you know, can bands do it themselves or should they be looking elsewhere? Well, we'll start with do bands need a manager in response to words, King Parrot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good answer. Youngie won't mind me saying this, but Youngie from that band is just phenomenal at getting... You know, being a self-believer in his in what he's got. Yeah, man, you're not the first person to mention that band on this podcast either. Yeah, and he pushes the shit out of it, and let's he knows too. How, you know, he knows how to not be a punisher, you know, and all that. But he, he gets in there and he gets what he wants. You know, he gets he's got a good agent in the UK and Europe. Yeah, they're they're in the states. They got South by Southwest. You know, they're coming to Hamasonic. Yeah, it's it'll keep rolling like that for them. You know, all the bookings and that around Australia, doing it all himself. You know, and and the the wealth of knowledge, so that when a manager does come on board, that man knows exactly who's going to be looking after his band and why. And if they're not doing it at that level, why? You know, kind of thing. So why? why? <laughs> we spoke with Rod Holder a few weeks ago, which was awesome as well. But he actually also mentioned King Parrot, and he said, you know, with with that youngie, he's a funny bugger. And when he, oh, yeah. you know, all the bands <laughs> after a gig, everyone's you know getting trashed and partying, and he's you know walking the streets, putting up flyers for the next show. Hard worker, and got it switched on. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, he just um, he loves it, you know, and it, that, that's evident on stage and off. You know, uh, yeah, that's uh, I've got a lot of respect for that band. Very hard working. Good, good dudes. Um, yeah, I love great music. Yeah, good, good live show. Yeah, what's what's not to like if you if you're not into it, that's cool. But that's what I like about it. Yep, sweet, self managed, good cunts. Yeah, so um, certified. The other question, well, the other questions you had there, wasn't um, you pretty much answered it, man? Because you know the, the idea was just you know do bands need managers these days? And you know with King Power, obviously they've. They're pretty much the most successful band in Aussie metal at the moment, and they're doing it themselves. Yeah. Um. But the, yeah, the the main reason I'm I'm asking is, as I know a lot of bands do get approached by weird companies out there, um, to say, you know, we'll uh shop you to these labels and blah blah blah. What should a good manager do? Well, if you if you're asking yourself that question, you ask what what can you do for your band? What's everything you can do? And if this person can take you. Uh, take on all those tasks that you could do and to the next level and take you to, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be huge to start off with, but if, you know, if all of a sudden you're not playing to 50 people anymore, you're playing rooms on bills that are pulling 400 people, you know, that's exposing yourself to bigger things. So if that person can take you into areas like that and then beyond, yeah, horses for courses, depending on the style of music of the band, but that's the bottom line. Can that person do what you're doing for yourself already and more? And change your uh, your basically your live scenario because that's what artists are after at the end of the day is playing to more people in one room. Like a need for a manager as a grassroots band isn't really there until you get to a certain level because a lot of that local stuff, local level, you can just do yourself even right. on a national level. Yeah, the best the best advice I think I can give bands is if you want to get yourself moving on the local level, you, you go to go to shows. Yeah. Doesn't matter what scene you're in, go to shows. You know, meet other bands, meet other people that are playing. Buy someone a beer, strike up a conversation. Again, don't be a punisher. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it just leave a bit of an impression on someone. Yeah. 
but it's, it's the simplest way. Meet who's putting on the show and ask them when their net, what next one is or you know, where, where can you send yourself, send a link in a few paragraphs. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Or a paragraph, sorry. But yeah, it's, uh, it's it really is as simple as that. And that's one thing that hasn't changed from when, when say, we started out playing in bands in the, in the, in the early 90s. It, it's the same thing. Go to shows and meet people, hang out. You might even make some mates out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you fucking nerds. <laughs> Network people. Um, all right, and then again on being punished, as a promoter yourself, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges of being a promoter that um, that punters often aren't aware of? Because people seem to just go to shows and they don't think about how the show happened or you know yeah. who's building the scene, who's doing this, who's doing that. Well, we'll just address it for what it is, which is Adelaide and quickly now being followed by Perth. We get hit a lot, either at social media or directly, with regards to why Soundworks doesn't put shows uh, in Adelaide very frequently, if at all, one or two a year if you're lucky. Well, that's basically because shows we would put in, and we would have a great time doing it at Fowler's with with, with uh, Peter Darwin and Michelle and the crew there. They're great people and great venue and always a good time. But when you've got a, a tour coming through and you need a minimum of 300, 350 people to make that work in a 550 cap venue, 120 people turn out or 150 you know, um, the numbers just don't add up, guys. It's that simple. There's nothing more to it. Nothing more to it. It's not about favouring any other cities or doing anything smaller tours and leaving Adelaide out for for, for extra cash. It, we leave Adelaide out, for example, so that it doesn't cost us cash. I've said to Dive to a number of times, you know, might as well have just rolled onto the tarmac, walked inside the airport, wrote out a cheque for seven or eight grand and just given it to some <laughs> random person and moved on, you know. It's... You know, it's that's what it got to. So, and and it could be said, oh yeah, you guys have been picking the wrong tours or whatever. That is true. Once or twice that happens as a promoter. You know, over the last six or seven years, we did maybe two, one or two tours there that we just went, oh, the whole national thing. But what was getting us was pulling a thousand in or twelve hundred in Melbourne the night before, and then getting three hundred yeah. in in Adelaide, and then getting eight hundred in Perth on a. On a, uh, on a a week night, yeah. and we we tried to fix it by giving Adelaide a couple of uh, Fridays and Saturdays, you know. And so we're losing money on in yeah. bigger markets doing that, but you got to give it a go. So it wasn't for it took us quite a few years before we went. Hey, you know, and we will maintain that policy. You know, I don't care what anyone says. And Perth is on notice. I'll go on the record <laughs> as saying, you know, it's th- those. The Perth shows now are relying more heavily on the walk-ups, which, you know, sure, the, yep. some of the numbers are coming through, but we go back to when we weren't doing this 10 years ago, but now I think people are spoilt for choice, so they'll pick and choose, or yeah. or maybe we've brought bands back two or three times now, and they, oh, I saw them last time, or I saw them at some festivals, because more people are travelling, and you've got to consider all these different things. So does this come back to maybe perhaps too many promoters bringing too many bands, and then they have to pick and choose and then all of the turnout stuff. It does come back to that. And what we're saying before is, you know, there's one or two particular ones that don't do their homework. They don't, they don't, they don't communicate. They don't show respect for what other promoters are bringing out or already have announced. They try and push it to a right in on top of it and stuff like that. So to me, that's just dumb business sense. You know, Um, I always like to know what's going on and who's doing what. And even if I can't find it out directly from another promoter, I know how to find it out. So it's, (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? I don't want to know for my own little petty fucking here, I know type reasons. I want to know so that from a business perspective, I can put my tour out comfortably. And you know what? Deep down, maybe so it doesn't dump, damage that other guy as well. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's some guy that's pissed me off. <laughs> he can eat a dick. 
<laughs> whoever you are. Do you um find that Dicey saves Soundworks a lot of money by stealing airport trolleys? Yes, but he also costs us a lot. Oh, no, he don't. We, we get the carer's allowance now. So that's, <laughs> that's all right. No. Yeah, he's kind of breaking even. Yeah, so, yeah. And he's doing a good deed by getting free trolleys. He's very passionate about airport trolleys. We like to bring it up. He's we mad for it. We have um, a guy that works in our tour, Shrimp. Uh, Shrimp's just a legend in the industry. You know, he works for everyone. He's a great dude. And uh, he, he taught Dicey the art of the mm. the airport trolley. And, and to the point where in every city where you go and get them. And I'm yeah. sure you've seen. He's got great trolley knowledge. It's oh, amazing. I'm, I'm sure you've seen him just take my bag, Cabba, and he scuttles he off. Yeah. You're like, where are you going, man? Oh, don't worry. I'll be back in a minute. Comes back with like five trolleys. Yeah. Oh, Zoidberg. Or on our tour, he came back with a wheelchair because he couldn't find any trolleys. That would have been his. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, oh, yeah, bless him. What a legend. I think I, I would have in our budget, you know, like 200 bucks for trolleys. He's, oh, you can halve that. <laughs> <laughs> That's before the tour starts, man. <laughs> that confident. Yeah. You can halve that. Yep. He'll come back and it'll only be 50. <laughs> And that'll be for like the two with 15 dudes out there. Funny <laughs> shit. What a legend. So, yeah, you're involved in uh, booking massive lineups for Hamasonic International Metal Festival in Jakarta. Yes. Uh, can you tell us about the festival and what exactly the excitement of experience means? The excitement of experience. That's the, is that the, uh, that's, that's the slogan that's on the, the website. The presser that's come out. Yeah. That's, well, you know, it's a, you know, you know, English, isn't it? So I, I don't know what that means. Actually, no one's explained <laughs> that to me. It's going to be a great experience. And it, makes, it just means about. it's going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be bugus man tap. Do you reckon next year you could talk him into it being like Hamasonic Festival? Fucking awesome time. Fucking awesome, happy fun time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah man. It, it is a great experience, and the the head promoter up there, Ravel Gennati, is. Um, a great friend of mine and, and, and our family, you know, and uh, him and his wife, Susan, as well. They He's put his balls on the line to, to do this, you know, a couple of years now. And, yeah, it's finally turning around and looking really fucking good, you know, from the, the financial perspective and everything like that as well, which which is good because it means it can sustain itself. But uh, he's asked me to – he asked me a couple of years ago to, you know, would I be interested in doing all the international bookings? I said, fuck, I haven't worked for someone for 10 years but haven't caught anyone boss. And he was like, no, 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 just, you know, booking, trusting you. So, yeah, great, let's do it. And he's a great guy. Um, yeah, really good guy. Uh, so I'm happy you know, to, to represent the brand and the festival and also, yeah, put the, the international side of those that line up together. It's, um, I do it with pride and I, I think it's a great thing. It's only going to get better the way it's run and operated and it's a great thing for the Indonesian scene and he's very passionate about, the Indonesian scene itself, um, more than I could describe in words. The decisions he makes where I just, I'll say, man, really, that's going to cost you money. He goes, oh, no, it's going to be a good thing for the scene as well. So he's, it's a wonderful thing, you know, that he's doing up there. And, yeah, I'm just stoked to be part of it. And we, we've got, we have a good Australian contingent each year of five or six or seven bands uh, because we know that, that also the Australian bands talk. And there was a lot of Aussies that came up last year. If you get a chance to come up and enjoy it, um, you know, keep in mind it's Jakarta. Traffic is the worst in the world, and things like that. And you know, it's it's called the Big Durian for a reason because you either love it or you hate it. But it, to me, I, I think it's a great city um, for better or for worse. And once the festival's kicking and the bands are all moving along, it's a it's a fantastic day, and everyone's having a good time. And the locals are just 
wonderful people. Everyone wants to be your friend and take photos with you and hang out. It's uh, You'll never see so many smiles on faces as you will at that festival in one you know, centralised uh, place. So it's I can't say enough about it. Sold it well. And I know there's a lot of Aussies that actually just, you know, fly up there for the weekend just to enjoy the festival. I mean, if there's people thinking about it this year, what could they expect? And, you know, should they do it? Should they fork out the cash and head over there? Yeah, sure. I mean, get on the website and check it out. We're, we're trying to uh, set up for the next, the coming years where we can offer packages with the hotel the tickets and, you know, transfers and things like that. So that's all coming, but get up there and, and get around yourself and have a look. Yeah, I mean, you're probably looking at hotels. There's hotels close to the, the festival grounds, you know, but as we say, it's Jakarta. So, you know, if you're going to commute, you can expect 30 minutes to an hour and a half. Take your pick. It works on the Indonesian rubber watch. But a walk. yeah, just, you know, pro- get get your program together. Just get there early, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and enjoy the day. You know, there's there's great food stalls around and it's it's Indonesia. So the food stalls, you know, sure, it's local stuff, but it, it, it's great. You know, it's different. The smells are different. The Yeah, the people are different. You know, as Westerners, we're the, we look like the odd ones out, but you're not made to feel that way. You're welcomed and, and you know, with, with open arms, literally people <laughs> will hug you and want to take your photo just because you're there. You know, why? Are you here, kind of thing, and it, it, it's it's great, and it's a it's legitimate awesome. question, you know, like yeah, yeah, because I mean, they, 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 those guys up there, they they understand that sometimes Western Westerners and Western culture have a, a dim view of a, of a of a Muslim country or something like that, but that's um, it's not reciprocated, and not not I'm only speaking for the festival, it's not reciprocated there. It's a it's a peaceful, loving, awesome place where fucking heavy metal reigns supreme and slam and slam. Oh yes, porn slam. Yeah, except for resume. A shit band. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do super up well up there, which is yeah, awesome. I think those, nothing those better boys than seeing them. Well, and they're probably a good representation of the Indo scene as well because they've been to Perth a few times and you see them on stage and you can't wipe the smiles off their faces when they're, they're on stage. And so everyone in the crowd is all of a sudden just so happy because yep. these guys on the stage, you know, they're probably playing to 30,000 people in Indo. They come to Perth and play to 20 people and they're the happiest they've ever been. Yes, it's exactly the same, man. It's, it's awesome. You know, it's that, those guys that, that probably. 30,000 resumes all around. Uh, that, that's basically what you're getting at Hamasonic, you know, yeah, so yeah. the group of people so happy to be there doing what they're doing. And yeah, those guys, you know, they're just sold to the earth, really good people, resume guys. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to catching up. I don't think they're, they're not playing, they're still coming to hang out. So it's going to be a, a good time. Um, well, that sounds like a bit of a successful venture you've undertaken. Um, are there, have there ever been, or sort of what are your favourite moments or pinnacle times where you've just sat back and just gone, man, this is awesome, or I've done something great, or, you know, I've made it? Um, honestly, the, the one was when we toured Carcass in 2008. You know, I stupidly... In 1993, said to my mate Gav, nah, I'm broke this week, mate. I'll catch him next time. The next time was us doing it. So, you know, like, see Gav? I stuck to my word. But, uh, yeah, anyway, that was that was really the one where I sat there in Melbourne and just went, fucking hell, mate. Um, one of my favourite bands of all time. To me, up there with the, the Led Zeppelins, Black Sabbaths and things like that that, you know, spun my wheels in the early day and got me into this thing. And, yeah, definitely... That was the moment, I think, where I just kind of went, wow. I remember saying to my wife, you know, we could throw the towel in now. It's, it's done. <laughs> you know, as far as like a, you know, talking before about bands, you know, when you set a couple of goals. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would never have thought that I was doing that. So yeah, hopefully we get to do it twice. Man, we all we all hope that. Touching stuff. Um, yeah, so we are in the... <laughs> <laughs> Touching stuff. Moving on. <laughs> 
Speaking of touching, um, yeah, you have done an amazing job setting up, uh, well, essentially your own business, a bit of an entrepreneurship, um, doing great things for the metal scene of Australia. Um, What attributes or habits do you feel have helped you along the way? Um, And do you have any tips for people who, tips to to help them to to keep dedicated and motivated to achieve their goals? Well, can you just press pause for a second? Good length on this one, boys. (laughs) This one's got a good length on it. Do you have any tips for people? Uh, just stay focused. Like if you if you're gonna give it a go, give it a real go. Stay focused. You know you're gonna you're gonna lose. You're gonna get pushed down. You're gonna get defeated, but just bounce back up and give it another crack. Just stay focused on it. That's focus. Follow one course until success. Keep punishing it. You know it'll work. I don't know. So that's all. I, I honestly don't know what else to say. We get asked Good that man. question Good a lot, answer. but it's just yeah. Don't take no for an answer. I got told this would never happen. You know. By family, friends, everyone. Your dreamings is fucking. You got a wife and kids. What are you doing? You know. Well, here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's cool about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amongst family and friends, I'm I'm humble about it as well. I, at the end of the day, what what, I, what we do is just a job. I just we've just created a job that we absolutely love and are very lucky to do. Like the same way we started out this thing. You know, it's as I said at the start. There's not a day don't wake up and just think, fuck, you know. Even when it's a shit day, a shit day doing this is a good day. And I mean, that in itself is the definition of success. Yeah. Liking what you're doing, loving what you're doing. No, I think really. so. It's not even about, you know, everyone's got to put food on the table, put a roof over the head. All the fundamentals of life that we have, have fun, go out, you know, travel, all this sort of shit. But um, it's not about making hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, being some greedy, fat, rich cunt. You know, it's, you know, that, that, that's fine too. You know, I'm fucking not going to say no to that if it, that comes my way, but it's just about doing what you love and getting by. You know? Yeah. That's how I see success too, not just about zeros in a bank account, you know. Sustain your existence financially, but if you can do it with something you love, I mean, the next step on top of that is if you can do that and then maybe help something else or someone else out at the same, you know, then you kind of, You've covered all bases, I think. Yeah. You mentioned focus, and my next question is actually talking about shifting your focus or, or perhaps splitting it between a few different things. But I mean, you've had a successful career as as a promoter and a manager and a booking agent, and you know all these feathers to your cap in the music scene. Is there anything that you would like to try outside that, or are there any little pet projects or something that you have, or areas that one day you aspire to sort of venture into? Uh, Business wise, um, me and my wife like. We do a few things with, you know, real estate investments and things like that. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, um, just last night we wrapped it up the season, but I've been coaching my son's cricket team for you know, the best part of two seasons now. I did my oldest ones for three seasons. Things like that, riding motorcycles with my friends. I was at about 7.30 this morning, went about 200 Ks, you know. The weather was just beautiful, Why wouldn't you, you know. Yeah kind of thing um there's things i like to do away from music and it's something sometimes dicey and i will talk about you know i'll say oh, do you want to come and do this or you know if a bunch of us are going to go riding here can just grab some cars people come as well go do this you know just getting away i think from from the whole music and the business industry business side of things as well it keeps you wanting it i've got mates that are uh, some really good close friends that are tradesmen whether they be you know uh, chippies or chefs or whatever and same thing some of them have got off the tools and then gone back but they've got off it to realize that want again to go back yeah i think about two years ago i thought about doing that i was going to throw everything in and go and uh, get a pastry chef apprenticeship really yeah that was in 2012 huh, spun out. yeah it was that close yeah but yeah i think it was my wife turned around and she goes over my dead fucking body she goes you're gonna be a misery 
without yeah. that in your life. Just think about it. And I did for a good couple of weeks, you know. This, wouldn't have any tours that on, so I just so stepped away and thought about it. And, you know, she was right. And I knew yeah. that. It's, to me, sustaining everything is more important than being the biggest guy or the, the wealthiest guy or something like that. It's not... It's not about that. It's, and I think you find a lot, it's very similar. There's a correlation there between how bands think. You know, most bands, if you really ask them, they just want to have a successful, sustainable career. You know, look at your cannibal corpses and what Black Dahlia are doing, things like that. Cannibal corpse is the best example of it. You know, just sustaining a career for 30 odd years, just consistently making a good living. They're not, you know, multi-millionaires or anything like that, but they fucking make good money off playing good, honest death metal. And that's, that's key. You know, that's, uh, that's, I know that's how, how I am with Soundworks, you know, if we can continue it on and put good shows out there for people and we make a decent living out of it at the same time, isn't everyone a winner? Um, did you ever think about other forms of media uh, like like television or film or uh, any anything along those lines? Or In what, in what way? Ash? Like, oh, about so. like um, your role as a promoter or manager or anything like that. Did you ever think about uh, diverging into those other sort of oh, streams? Oh, I've never really discussed this with anyone. It's not even my wife. It's been in my head, you know, but just recently is I'm a big fan of sports, you know. Um, I'm not the biggest sportsman in the world by any, any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, rugby, cricket, um, are, are big things in our household, um, especially the cricket side of things. And if I could use my management skills anywhere now, if I was going to get really stuck into that, I'm only managing one band now, Arab Penance, and I'm not interested in any others. I would like to, yeah, I, I thought about pursuing the idea of maybe even sports management or something mm-hmm. like that. But I don't, I don't know, just because, um, yeah, I, I don't, th- I think that's where skills are transferable. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, if you've got the fundamentals, you, of course, you can't go into it so blindly. You, you, you would have to learn a whole new way of doing things, mm-hmm. but. Just your mindset's there already. Yeah. Like, you're representing someone. That's that's the bottom line, you know, so. Apart from that, but I, I mean, I, as I say, that's just a, that was just a fleeting thought, you know. Um, yeah. You know, there's lots of things I think about, oh, I'd love to go and do that, but it all comes back to, no, I'm too focused on doing this. And yeah. if it's going to take away from that, I probably won't do it. Then Murph Hughes will have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, the kids are a different story. That's cricket, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I guess that's it. Thanks very much for an awesome interview. You've got the job. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> been I'm lying. Oh. Yeah. Ash oh, and I are thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for being with us and um, thanks for all the awesome things you've done for the scene. I hope everyone out there today listening has learnt plenty and um, we'll give Brad a big wrap-up when we uh, close the interview off later on. But, um, yeah, cheers, man. Is there any... I guess final words or what's the best way for people to keep in touch with all things Soundworks uh, my wife's just asking is the job fly in fly out hope so <laughs> <laughs> it's walk in walk out the backyard to the shed it's just get out yeah. get out <laughs> no just um, thank you to anyone that's ever come to a Soundworks show uh, seen any of the artists that we've brought out we thank you very very much um like a band if it wasn't for those people then, then it doesn't exist you know we can't keep doing it so yeah and if you want to try and give what we're doing a crack go for it it's not easy but learn from these guys and what they're what they're putting out there it's a it's a wonderful thing that they're doing so um yeah stay tuned champion cheers thanks man and one more question yeah uh we, we usually wrap up with a song and we were wondering would you let us play a choke song and if so which fucking one? Oh, something dyson didn't write uh <laughs> <laughs> All of them? Yeah, no, he was a Johnny come lately. <laughs> um, oh, Chocoholics. Oh. 
I actually used to have two and I lost both of them somehow. Glenn will have 20. You can borrow. Glenn 20. Glenn 20. Yeah, Detective Senior Sergeant. <laughs> Glenn 20. Chocolate. <laughs> What a catch. What a catch. He's got him. Yes, he's got him. And um, yeah, that was a real good interview there, Brad. Thanks for joining us here on the Blodgecast with Ash and Cabba from Claim the Throne. I think um, we definitely learned a lot there. Yeah, and I'm sure the listeners definitely did as well. I'll be taking a few away from that one for sure. Straight after Brad put on some hot coals on his smoking barbecue and yeah, got a few chicken breasts out and gave us some Moroccan and fucking all sorts of spices all over that shit. Cooked it up, was awesome, and uh, yeah, had a few beers and a bit of a extended chat. Next time we'll quiz him a bit more about cooking. Fucking good spread, Brad. Thanks so <laughs> much. It was it was awesome. You've easily topped Bernard's garlic bread there. Sorry, Bernard, but you lose. For all the latest Soundworks stuff, all their tours and everything that are coming up, you can head to www.soundworkstouring.com and you'll find all sorts of information on the company uh, and Brad as well. Uh, make sure you do follow them on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff and you'll be the first to hear about any tours that they have announced. Of course, don't hesitate to get in touch with them if you are in um, local bands as well and you reckon you could be a good support or something. But yeah, more importantly, like uh, everything he was saying, just get out there, meet people um, and, and do what you can for your scene and eventually it will uh, come back. Karma is good. And that's how Brad made himself... Just uh, getting out there, getting on the scene, networking, and then taking a couple of chances and just backing himself. So yeah, I think uh, it's inspiration to all of us. And I think we can all do that, whether it be as a manager, promoter, or just a general band guy. Yeah, it's a good story. And I think you should all fucking listen up, especially <laughs> when Brad talks. Hope you took heaps of notes. Speaking of Soundworks Touring and Brad's involvement in Hammersonic, we ourselves are actually on the Hammersonic Festival, which is coming up on the 27th of April in Jakarta, Indonesia. As he did say, it's a pretty awesome thing that 30,000 people expected there and you know it's the closest thing we'll get uh, proximity wise to you know a big European festival we definitely encourage Aussies to get on board if you've got a day off up your sleeve or something like that then sneak over for the weekend and come party and check out such bands as Morbid Angel, Flesh God Apocalypse, uh, King Parrot I think you've heard of them that youngie he's a funny bugger. <laughs> Uh, Belfagor, Origin, Claim of Thrones, and uh, yeah, other fellow Aussie metal bands, Disentomb, Malignant Monster, Fostora, all sorts of awesome bands, and I'm sure there'll be a bunch of wicked locals as well, but um, yeah, from what I've heard of, of everyone who's been there before, they just reckon it's such an awesome vibe, and you can't wipe the smiles off everyone's faces around the place, everyone's just so happy to be there, and so happy to see that there are other people coming from all around the world to, to check out their scene, so yeah, definitely worth going along, um, yeah, for a good weekend away and definitely, um, you know, get that festival atmosphere without having to fork out thousands of dollars to head to Europe or, um, you know, take weeks and weeks off work. You can just get away for a few days and I'm sure it'll be awesome fun and won't break the budget. So looking forward to that. Uh, next up on the plate, we also have a gig with Flesh God Apocalypse and Septic Flesh in Perth. That is on the 18th of May at Amplifier Bar. Uh, tickets are available from claimathrone.com. Follow the link to the big cartel and we will give you a cheaper ticket because we're good like that. That's definitely going to be an awesome show. Two really awesome bands that are picking up their game at the moment and doing good things for the global metal scene. So it'll be a huge night and yeah, definitely get your tickets through us. You will save Dosh. Speaking of Dosh, uh, get your dosh together and get the hell over to Adelaide because on the 31st of May, we've got the New Dead Festival, uh, which is, is that the fifth installment? I believe it is the fifth installment. The fifth of the They'll fifth almost need two hands to count how many installments there are soon. Four fingers and one thumb. You've got it. It's five. And that is going to be an awesome festival as are all of these 
Aussie metal shows in Adelaide. Um, we have been there quite recently. It went down really well, so super pumped to get back. And this one does have, uh, you would have heard of King Parrot. Uh, it's also got Vanishing Point, Lord, Truth Corroded, Claim of Thrones. Advent uh, Sorrow. Advent Sorrow from Perth. Uh, Aeon of Horus, Sip and Kira, a whole lots of awesome bands. So if you're in Adelaide, make sure you get along. If you're not, make sure you get along. And if you start for... Metal Geeks in Adelaide, then um, yeah, show your support to the scene. Come out to the shows. That's one of the bigger local shows put on by our good legendary friend Jason. And yeah, if you guys get out there and show your support to the scene, then who knows, uh, tours might start rolling back through for you guys. You heard from Brad during that interview. That's one of the challenges they have making tours go by all these cities that don't always have consistently big turnouts. So yeah, make sure you do support your scene and eventually you will get more tours coming back through. So that's going to be a big one for sure. One other show that we do have, which we didn't mention, was the one a pre-Hamasonic Perth pre-party at the Civic Hotel the week before. So you can check out all the details from that at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash claim the throne. That one also has Advent Sorrow, Earth Rot and Cold Fate at the Civic Hotel, Inglewood, Perth. Going to be good. And make sure you check us out on other forms of social media. Cab has given you the Facebook. We've given you the claimthethrone.com. You can also link through to Instagram, Twitter and Reverb Nation, all sorts of fucking bullshit that no one's got time for. But check it out if you've got a few minutes or you're waiting for a bus. Shit. And lastly, of course, you can find us on your podcast app. Just search Claim the Throne or Blodgecast. Find us on iTunes, all that stuff. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, subscribe, and you can keep updated to yeah the latest of all things Claim the Throne Blodgy related. And we'll appreciate that too. And of course, you can record yourself uh, asking a question or leaving a comment at claimthethrone.net. Hover your mouse over the right side of screen and you're away and we'll definitely play that on the show. Well, speaking of muddy strides, uh, we have a song coming up for you. Brad requested Chocoholic by Choke. And it's definitely something you should check out. Awesome grind album from legendary band Choke. It's going to be full of chocolate or perhaps the brown back door. Either way, you're going to enjoy Chocoholic by Choke. We'll catch you again next week. For any of you backdoor bandits out there, make sure you get into some fucking chocolate. Yeah.